Hey, how's it going? Wow, one of these things almost immediately after I already just posted one? That's a bit weird. I suppose I owe you an explanation. I made the mistake of ordering a t-shirt online recently. I don't know if you follow this gentleman, Simon Whistler. If his name doesn't sound familiar, his face probably is. If you use YouTube in any capacity and you watch any kind of engineering or science programming, his face is on a lot of things. He's an English gentleman. He's my age, actually, which is kind of cool. Uh, and he lives in the Czech Republic. So I know I just always thought he had a very interesting take on things. He has a lot of channels. The one that I started following was called uh, Mega Projects. So in fact, he recently did an episode on the gas turbine engines that Union Pacific used to run, which was really cool. A lot of just really interesting um, sort of short documentary style videos about all manner of things from sort of politics and geography, science, technology, engineering, lots of great stuff. I sometimes have a sort of an afternoon if I'm, if I'm feeling a bit out of it or need, um, need something to cheer me up or anything like that, I sort of put his videos on and just, uh, what's the modern word that we're supposed to use? Binge? I binge a bunch of them. And Clara likes him too, so he's pretty good. One of the channels that he does, which is, I, is, it's just so ridiculous that I love it so much, is called Brain Blaze, and it was originally called Business Blaze, and <laughs> he, he spent so little time talking about business that it just turned into Brain Blaze. He has a writer in the UK called Danny, who he says at the start of each episode, Danny wrote me this script, I'm going to read it to make it a little bit more sh like that. <laughs> anyway, sorry, it's a... Uh, I digress, but as kind of a thank you for Danny for writing all this stuff for him, he did this promotion recently where you could buy a t-shirt with his name on it. <laughs> because that's, there's a whole heap of in-jokes and things I won't bother explaining. Anyway, the reason I bring all of this up here is that I procured this shirt making the mistake of getting extra large. Now, I, as you're tired of hearing, grew up in Singapore where... I just got in the habit of getting extra large and 2X for pretty much everything. People are very slender over there and compared to sort of Western countries tend to be smaller. So I, someone of my height, not so much my waist, I had to get larger shirts. Otherwise the sleeves would sort of barely protrude from my shoulders. It would always be a bit embarrassing. I know clothes never quite fit me very well. One of the things I loved about going to Japan was going to Uniqlo and the fact that all of these clothes just fit me really well, uh, which was nice. But yeah, I've just got in the habit of buying extra large. So naturally, when this t-shirt came out, I thought I would buy myself an extra large version of it. I, that was a mistake. It is huge. You could, you could pitch a tent with this thing. Like you could go out into the wilderness. Wouldn't make a very good tent because it's not especially waterproof. But it's this Danny Salter shirt from Brain Blaze, and it, it, I would be exaggerating if I said it came up to my knees, but, but almost that amount. And it just billows like nothing I've ever seen before. So mental note, if you're about to procure some podcast-related memorabilia or merchandise uh, from a gentleman who sells his or her wares from the U.S., uh, double check the measurements. 
I think at this stage, I was looking through the stuff after the fact, and I probably could have got a medium looking at it, and it might have still been um, a bit big. So there was that. Another sort of an interesting thing that happened over Christmas, um, I noticed uh, a few, I guess a few months ago, this really interesting website called Aviation Tag. I don't know if you've heard of this, but what they do, you know, with aeroplanes, they go out of service after a set number of years. Some of the older planes that I've been on, um, you know, sometimes they're 30, 40 years, sometimes it's 10 years. It's as much to do with economics as it is, um, you know, the age of the airframe. So some companies like Singapore Airlines are scrapping their double-decade A380s, even though they're a decade old, which in aviation terms is quite young, or young-ish, I should say. Whereas some of their 777 planes are on the, on the verge of being 25, 30 years old, and they're still flying. So it's just, yeah, I guess the um, they were having trouble filling them up before the pandemic, and now afterwards they're um, obviously not, not doing so much uh, of that... Uh, you know, carrying passengers and things during these times, is, it's difficult. I've phrased that very strangely. Anyway, so this company called Aviation Tag goes into scrapyards where they're disassembling airplanes. Like the, the most famous one is probably that one out in the uh, Mojave Desert. Uh, in I think that's California, isn't it, in the US? And what they do is, I'm, I'm sure they're sanctioned. Well, at least I hope they are. They go in with a, with a with sort of power tools and they cut out chunks of the plane and then cut them by hand into luggage tag sized uh, bits of metal. Very, my intonation is really weird today. And they are, they're just so cool. I'm holding one now. You probably just heard it. Um, it's, a, uh, it's actually hanging off our Christmas tree at the moment. This is a piece. It's how, how big would you say it is? About 10 centimeters across, maybe slightly less. Quite small, it fits in the palm of my hand. This is aircraft skin from a Boeing 757, which is one of my all-time favorite um, airframes. What I like about this is it came out, this airplane was launched by Boeing in 1986, which is kind of an important year for me because it's, it's the year I was born as well. So this airplane has been flying around the world for DHL as a cargo plane this entire time. Uh, you know, the entire time I was around, and then it was retired and scrapped, and now I have a piece of it. I, I just think it's really cool. And so for Christmas this year, Claire is really into aviation and um, big planes and things too, so I got her a A380 skin, <laughs> that piece of this thing, which is a luggage tag. The thing that strikes you about it, first of all, is how light they are, which I suppose it makes sense for aviation things. You want to have uh, aluminium be as light as possible. And like things like the 787 and the A350 are being made out of composites, so they're even lighter still. But it's it's just so cool. So it's it's the original paint from the airplane, and they've just etched into it. It says, original aircraft skin, Boeing 757, 2,066 out of 10,000 limited edition. So only, they only do them in batches. So if you're interested in a particular aircraft, you can get a, a piece of it. I saw they were just selling recently a piece of a... I think it was a DC-10, which was interesting. I mean, I was 
growing up being an aviation nerd, I thought the Lockheed TriStar was a far more interesting, capable, technological marvel than the DC-10 was. But it's still an iconic aeroplane. I'm thinking, hmm, I could get... So the problem with these sort of things is once you have one, you think, oh, this is really cool. And then you end up buying tons and tons of them. You can also get a, I think they had a Quanta 747, so the one with the hump. Everyone knows what that is. So if you're sort of mildly interested in this sort of stuff, you can take a look at it. This was not sponsored by them at all. But what I was sort of, before I got distracted, one thing I think is especially cool is this A380 skin is noticeably thicker than the 757. And it makes sense so that the plane was a lot larger and it has a lot more stress on its airframe. So, of course, it has to be built out of thicker stuff. But looking at it now, like I've got the A380 one next to the 757 one. The 757 one's what, a couple of millimeters, if that? It's quite thin. The the A380 one is probably more than twice, if if not maybe even three times as thick. I just think that's cool. Ah, oh, I just, what a brilliant idea for people who are into aviation. We have this kind of requirement as human beings. I think it was, speaking of nerd fandom, <laughs> I think it was Star Trek First Contact that first really sort of opened my eyes to this phenomena. That if you, no spoilers, but when uh, Captain Picard is surveying the, the first warp ship that humanity's ever built, and Data, the robot from the series, is watching Picard, this sort of captain of Starfleet, you know, this sort of... Um, very important person who's obviously very mature and rational and, and all of that. The first thing he does after seeing this rocket is he reaches out with his hand and he puts his hand on the side of it. And Data says, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and Picard looks and because being a robot, he's unfamiliar with, with sort of all these sort of human emotions and interactions and how this all works. So he was saying, yeah, th this is for humans. It's very important to have physical contact with something. It, it adds to your understanding and appreciation for things. And so Data then puts his hand on the on the casing of the rocket and says, I'm detecting imperfections in the titanium thing. I've got, oh, next generation was so good. But I think that's, it, they touched on an interesting idea there that we are sort of touchy-feely animals and we do like to have that sort of contact so to be able to be holding a piece of uh, an airplane in my head like this is really cool and even just the fact that on the other side there's a skin on it that I guess came from the factory that Boeing I don't know if they sprayed it on or if it's a, like a protective coating or something but I thought that's also interesting that you're even seeing the inside of the plane here that sort of off-white color which you would never otherwise see. And the fact that, I don't know, that this tiny piece of aluminium was part of a structure that was flying thousands of meters in the air, just at shockingly fast speed for a human mind to comprehend. I just, I just that's amazing. That's, oh, I really am in awe of this sort of stuff. I don't know, like there's, I think it's a combination of using these um, Commodore computers from the 80s, um, like my, so I've got a Commodore 128, a Plus 4, and a C16. Using these things, and then rolling the chair over to my modern laptop and typing on stuff, you can see the progress. In some ways, we've gone very much backwards, but generally speaking, in terms of technical capability, we've gone 
we've come a long way from the um, from the days of these old machines and i don't think we really stop to appreciate that enough as as uh, as we should i think there's this implicit or sort of overarching idea lately that all technological progress is bad and yeah we have a lot to answer for in terms of environmental impact everything like that but it's just i think we need to stop every now and then and appreciate what we have and how far we've come and the the things that we have now that would have not only been considered luxury items a hundred years ago would have seemed either impossible or for the purview of royalty right presumably <clears throat> most of the world is living in conditions that are better now than what anyone in human history has had and yeah there are pockets of desperation that we really 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 need to sort out because you know, being a uh, a hapless cosmopolitan person like myself i don't see nationalities i see people i don't care where you're from you deserve you know you deserve dignity and and respect and a standard of living that we can all sort of enjoy and i don't know i'm rambling but the the point is uh, ironically it's also something that uh, that song whistler character who i talked about at the the start of this makes a big deal out of saying the past was the worst it's one of his catchphrases and it's kind of true every time you hear about a medical procedure we're at the point now where i'm starting to read things and watch documentaries about things that happened in the 80s like in the time that i was born and you hear about the procedures they're doing back then and you think "Ooh, that seems oh that's one level away from using a rusty chainsaw oh and that's really not that far away you know, away in the grand scheme of things. And even just the fact that we have vaccines and uh, medicine that can, you know, help to offset and downgrade and provide immunity for this disease, which has ravaged the world, we've managed to cut short a lot of human suffering from doing that in such a, a ridiculously short amount of time. I think that's freaking brilliant. And my hope is that now that we've sort of demonstrated that we have the financial resources and the wherewithal and the motivation and the technological uh, capability to produce these things, let's tackle things like malaria next. Let's deal with these things that have been ravaging people for millennia and people in so many parts of the world now. I think there's a huge opportunity to do that sort of thing. Um, I, you know, as part of the, this big experiment in humanity that we're dealing with at the moment, yeah, it does feel like we do. It's it definitely does feel like it's a two, two steps forward, one step back in so many things. <sighs> but no, I I've been trying to sort of look a bit more and not be on the cliche, be thankful for what you have kind of thing. Um, but I suppose every, cliches are cliches because they're true to an extent, and I I think it is important sometimes to remember that. So I've just been doing some cleaning while I do this. I guess the last thing I wanted to mention here, this was just going to be a quick one, was someone tweeted something recently which I thought was brilliant, saying that they're tired of people being uh, smug and, well, you could leave it at that, but being smug about those who have New Year's resolutions. And, it was, and they were saying, can we can we stop 
you know, shitting on people who have New Year's resolutions. <laughs> I... I really like that idea. I think we're at the point now where, in, in the broad sense and sort of human history, we are in a better place than we've ever been. Um, you, you know, Stephen Pinker wrote about that, um, the better angels of our nature, the fact that we're living through the best period in human history. But <laughs> this recent couple of years have obviously been an outlier for a lot of people. There's this attitude that if someone is being optimistic or doing something that we need to take them down a peg. Um, Australia has this tall poppy syndrome thing that takes that to an extreme, but that's sort of beyond the scope of this discussion. It's just, I think you should be allowed to have New Year's resolutions. I, I remember years ago, people talking about, oh, you know, they're, they're bad because people don't keep them, etc. I mean, sure, that's true. But a New Year's resolution isn't just a goal. It's, I don't know, it's, it's a bit of optimism. It's, you wouldn't bother having a New Year's resolution if you didn't think there was a chance that you could do it. Um, and setting yourself up like that is a positive thing. Even if you don't end up doing it, most people's New Year's resolutions fail within the first month. Isn't that what the, the uh, pop psychologists say? But there's a chance that it could work and the fact that you're even thinking about it like what's when people talk about things like alcoholism what's the first thing they ask you to do to acknowledge it right to be able to say i have a problem that's a huge step and i don't think that gets enough credit when people say i'm overweight or when people say i need to get a new job or when people say i need to do more stuff with my family or i need to take better care of myself or get over this mental burden or do this project or something the fact that you're even thinking about it is something that's good. Obviously, the follow-through is, is also difficult. But yeah, I think it's just, it's... We're at the point now where, I, I don't know if this is limited to social media or the world at large. Um, I've only been living in social media for the last two years. <laughs> you know, not being able to leave the house and whatnot. But there's there's just this prevailing attitude that you have to be cynical and cool and smug about everything. You know, like Christmas is another example. There are people who will just go on and on and on and on about how much they hate Christmas carols and the whole thing is just a sham and it's a waste of time and people having fun are all brainwashed and blah blah blah. I think there's one group of people who are who are allowed to be cynical about all of that. And it's retail workers. If I had to listen to those carols nonstop for almost three months out of the year, I think I would go insane as well. And I would snap and I would do horrible things. Oh, but I think outside that, if, people, if it brings them joy and laughter and fun and it helps bring their families close together, can we get over the cynicism, please? It's just, what are we doing? It just, I don't understand this compulsion that people have to be to sort of look at a whole group of people and say oh they're having fun I gotta I gotta crap all over that <laughs> right it just it, it makes it makes no sense I suppose there's a certain degree of um well like so much things so many things to do with being smug and arrogant is about projection right so it's as much 
signaling to the world at large that you are above the fray or you're more intelligent or you're more rational or any number of these other sort of attributes that we like to throw around sometimes. It's, it's a way to say that you're more sophisticated or intelligent. And, but I don't know, I, I resent the idea that people, for people to feel better about themselves, they have to take other people down a peg too. I don't know why. There is this really perverse attitude in so much of how the world works where everything is just presumed to be a zero-sum game which is nonsense like why should someone else be miserable for me to be happy it doesn't have to be that way and in fact i mean the the scientific evidence and the medical literature everything there says that making others happy is a shortcut to make you happy as well but we could actually be making this better for everyone so yeah i i kind of have been trying to push back a bit on this idea of cynicism and stuff. Having said all of that, I sometimes look back at what I post and I think, eh, that was a bit cynic. <laughs> that was a bit of a cynic coming through. I'm trying to, that's my New Year's resolution. I'm trying to be a little bit, a little bit better about that. The one bigger feedback that I have seen that is useful about New Year's resolutions is people who say that you should set concrete goals and attainable ones rather than just having some ephemeral sort of open-ended idea like, I need to lose weight, or I need to be less cynical. Rather than doing that, maybe setting a goal for yourself, saying, I want to eat this much per week, or I want to exercise this much per week, or when I write a blog post, I want it to be less cynical. Just putting it in more concrete terms seems to make a big difference. I guess the worst that you could do is give it a try. Ah. <sighs> I don't, yeah, I had no idea that all of that would go into such a rambling mess. Uh, I think I'll leave it at that. Hope you're doing well. I'm trying to think of some words to finish this off.